You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning, good morning. It's so good to be here with you today. Uh, it's just been an awesome week. Uh, you seem all spread out. Uh, it's good to have you here today. It wasn't last week great Easter Sunday. Isn't that awesome to see that? Like there were baptisms going on. There were great things happening. And just uh, a lot of new lives. I mean, we would think almost 13 people accepted Christ last week. We give it just up to the Lord for just drawing people to himself. And maybe you're here today and you're one of those people that you said, last week I just understood the gospel for the first time. I made a decision. And you want to know how to, how to maintain that. You want to say, how do I grow on this decision that I've made? How do I continue to build on that? And my heart in this series, Life on Fire, is not to give you some expectation that your life should just be this emotional high all the time. That's not reality, is it? But reality is that life has ups and downs. But the point is that God wants to encourage you. God wants to strengthen you. And that's our point during this series on Life on Fire. If you have your Bible, take it out. Uh, the, the scriptures will also be up on the screen. But also you'll want your sermon outlined today. We're going to be going through some things together. During this series, we're going to be walking through the book of 2 Timothy. Now this is the Apostle Paul, and he is writing, this is actually his last book before he dies. It's his final words, his final instructions before leaving earth, but he's writing them to Timothy, which is one of his young protégés. It's a guy that he has watched develop spiritually. It's a guy who's gotten involved in ministry, and a guy who's leading a church. And so he's writing as one minister, if you will, to another about how to live with a life on fire. And it's not an emotional high all the time. He's saying in the face of opposition, in the face of a lot of different things going on, I want to train you how to walk and stay consistent in your walk. Now, today, how many of you have ever tried to light a fire with really wet wood? Anybody in here? Yeah, and it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to light it with the wood. It's soaking wet. After Easter, we closed the office for two days and let staff recuperate. And uh, our family went up just for a couple nights to Zephyr Point and up in South Lake Tahoe. And we got up there and we were trying to start a fire. Now, as we're driving up there, I got to tell you, I saw one of the coolest signs I've ever seen. It said, fire danger, low. I haven't seen that sign in like five years, right? Right? We haven't seen that at all. But we've had so much rain. We've had so much soaking in California. We're so grateful for that to the Lord. The snowpack is unbelievable. It's amazing. I think Mammoth Mountain is going to stay open till July 4th for skiing. I mean, just unbelievable amount. They've, Mammoth Lakes itself has received over 50 feet of snow this winter. Those poor people who live there. They, I mean, you don't even know where the stop signs are. You better know where they are because you can't see the stop signs. The snow's up to the signals. It's crazy, right? But it's just a beautiful sign. For those of you who've gotten in the backcountry, for those of you who've camped at a lake, for those of you who've backpacked, in the last five years, you've not been able to have a campfire for the most part. A lot of us backpacking trips and you sit there with a little light. It just doesn't feel the same, right? It just doesn't. And what we want is, you're like, I desire, I desire like for the warmth of a fire, the comfort of a fire. I, I want that. And, and if you've ever tried to light a fire with really wet wood, it is tough. It is so hard. So we're in this little 
like, it, it's almost a little plywood cabin up there at Zephyr Point. And we're in there, we're trying to, like, light this, but all the wood is wet. And I'm, I'm burning anything we have for kindling, like the box that all the wood came in. I've, I've just lit up the whole box underneath. You know, I've done everything. And I'm pretty good at lighting, the, you know, I mean, I know how to light my fires, right? You know, you can do the log cabin, you can do the teepee. There are a lot of different techniques. And I'm working it, and I'm just telling you, like, I'm getting flame going, but I'm not getting fire going, if you know what I mean. The logs aren't catching. It's just, it's just not happening. And so finally what I decided is uh, there was one piece of wood that I was reserving. It's like this perfect wedge-cut piece of wood that was dried out that had already been in the cabin. Everything else we brought from the deck outside, and it just it was wet. It was soaked. And so finally as I'm trying all these things, I think, oh, that's fine. I know it looks pretty full in there already, but I'm just going to stuff that thing in there. I'm going to stuff this dry piece of wood in there. And I stuffed that one piece that was like primed to burn. And instantly, the fire went. And sometimes it just takes one, one piece that's primed, that's ready for your life to catch, for your life to get on fire. And for some of you, there are those moments that you just find out, I'm primed. I wasn't maybe aware, but I'm ready. Those moments where in your life spiritually, you were like, I just went to church, but all of a sudden God spoke to me through the song, or God spoke to me through the sermon, or God spoke to me in your quiet time. There are those moments where you're like, I maybe wasn't even aware, but all of a sudden I thought my life was like wet wood, but all of a sudden there was this moment, this prime wedge that God just inserted in there, and my life caught on fire. Maybe it was in a moment when you understood God working in your life or in your personal quiet time, and just you were just reading, you're just reading. You're saying, sometimes I read the Bible and it's like cereal, and sometimes I read it and all of a sudden it was like prime rib. Unexpected, but it kind of leaped off the page and it's like that perfectly primed piece of wood ready to burn, and, and God ignites that in you. Maybe it was in your life when God answered a prayer that you know was God. It wasn't going to happen unless God did that. And you just said, it's not chance, it's not happenstance, it is God. And you knew in that moment that God answered your prayer, and it began to ignite something in you. In those moments, something happens in your heart. Two guys in scripture, a guy named Cleopas and his buddy, have been in Jerusalem and they were in Jerusalem while all the things we talked about last week were happening. They were there at the time that Jesus got arrested and tried and crucified. They were there on the weekend when the sun went dark on that Friday for three hours in the middle of the day. They were there when the earthquake happened. They were there when crazy things happened. They were there when Jesus rose from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, also other people who were holy people rose from the dead. At the moment of Christ's crucifixion, they kind of stayed over on the Mount of Olives because that's where the tombs are. They stayed over there. But once Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning, they wandered over into the city and appeared to many people and talked to many people. And this is just a weekend unlike any other weekend that these guys have had. And they don't know how to make sense of it. But it is all the rage, it's all the talk in the town. And so they're leaving Jerusalem, they're going back to Emmaus, back to their town. And as they walk along the road, they're just talking nonstop about this crazy weekend that had happened. And along the road, then Jesus walks along and meets them. But they don't recognize that it's Jesus. I mean, who would, right? The last time anybody saw Jesus, he was whipped, beaten, unrecognizable as a man, crucified on a cross and dead. This is the very morning. This is Sunday morning as these guys are walking home going, 
crazy weekend in Jerusalem. They're not even aware that Jesus rose from the dead because Jesus has just risen from the dead. Mary has come to him and has seen him, and she has been given the instructions to go tell the disciples, Jesus is going to meet you in Galilee. And the scriptures tell us that on that same day that Jesus rose from the dead, so after he meets with Mary and says, go tell the disciples I'm alive and I'll meet them in Galilee, these guys are walking along the road and Jesus starts walking along with them. And as they're walking along the road, Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? They say, where have you been? Did you crawl out from under a rock? I mean, this week is big. Where were you on Friday when the sun went for like three hours? And then came back on. Where were you when the temple veil was torn in two? Where were you on all this? I mean, they're just, so they're explaining to him all these things. And Jesus is like, hmm, really? Hmm, interesting. I was just hanging out. Right? I don't know what he said. But what we know he said is that Jesus begins to open the scriptures to these guys. He begins to show from the Old Testament the prophecies about the Messiah that would be coming through, the prophecies that were coming along and that were fulfilled on that crazy weekend in Jerusalem, showing Jesus to be the Messiah. And their minds are opened. And then they get to their town and they're like, okay, well, Jesus acts like he's going on farther. And they say, no, stay with us, stay with us, have a meal with us. So they sit down to have a meal, and as Jesus blesses the meal and breaks the bread, their eyes are opened, and they recognize this is Jesus. And it's like the light bulb went on, and Jesus disappears from them right then. And this is what they say. If you have a Bible in Luke chapter 24, verse 32, Cleopas and his buddy, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked? with us on the road and open the scriptures to us. What was their experience? Their experience was, for some reason, as we walked with this guy, we didn't recognize as Jesus, but something happened in our hearts. It was like that perfect moment. It was like that prime piece of wood that as Jesus was there, they inserted it and they said, in our hearts, our hearts were like they were on fire. Were they not burning within us as he talked? See, moments like that in your life or my life, moments like that are great indicators that you have the desire to grow, the desire to change, the desire to love God with all your life. See, again, the problem is not that you don't love God enough. The problem is that you've forgotten how much God loves you. And there's this moment where they're like, we're, we're, these circumstances are crazy. But as they talk about they say, we're not our hearts burning within us. And they put their faith in Jesus in that moment. You love God with your life. When you have these inklings, when you have these moments, you're like, There's, I didn't realize I was primed. I didn't realize I was ready. But for some reason, God chose this song, this moment, this verse, this time right now to say, he's ready to get my heart on fire for him. That's not the constant in our life, is it? I mean, let's be honest. All too often, the pilot light goes out, and you're not aware that it went out, and you just get in the shower. And you step in, and you're having a cold shower, and that's what life feels like a lot, right? Because life happens. Circumstances happen. Things come along to squelch and to put out the fire of our hearts spiritually. And sometimes you approach God spiritually, you feel like you're having a cold shower. God, where are you? Where are you in these tough circumstances? God, it's been a while. God, I've run away from you. Whatever it is, you begin to feel like your life experience sometimes is more like a cold shower where the pilot light has gone out. You're unsure. 
how to reignite your heart for God. Let's be honest with each other. Some of you are more intentional and more knowledgeable about barbecuing techniques and temperatures and woods and smokes and marinades and the right equipment than you are about how to reignite the flame of your spiritual life. Uh, Those of you in this room, you're semi-pro hairstylists when it comes to using a hot curling iron, or if you're from the 80s, a crimper, or now a hair straightener, right? You're almost a pro when it comes to that, but you're kind of saying, I don't know how to rekindle and fan into flame my spiritual life. You feel more like the electricity went out when you went to do your hair spiritually. Well, here's why you need this sermon. I want God to strengthen and encourage you to remain true to the faith in the high seasons, in the low seasons, in the seasons where you face opposition. Part of your spiritual growth, part of your spiritual formation is that you're going to be tried. You're going to be tested. You're going to feel like it's cold or dry or you're worn out and you're going to be tempted. That's part of your spiritual formation. And Paul is writing to Timothy because he doesn't want Timothy to say, Timothy, you're going to act. You're going to keep ministering, but I don't want you to burn out. I want you to stay ignited. I don't want you to burn out. See what happens when you burn out. That's when you are acting and living beyond your degree of commitment. So your degree of commitment to the Lord is here, but you're acting and living pretty far beyond that. And God's saying, I want to help you ignite your life so that your degree of commitment matches the level of your activity if you're highly involved in ministry. If you're not so involved in ministry, then the point of this series is to help you ignite that fire and get to a point where you're activating what has already been given to you. I want to encourage you. I want to strengthen you just as Paul wanted to encourage and strengthen Timothy so that his trust will grow through the challenging times. There are going to be challenging times in your life. Maybe right now you're facing impossible situations. Maybe right now you're facing big responsibilities. And you don't know how it's all going to come together if you feel like you feel. And God says, I want to help you. Come along at the right time, the right moment, with the right preparation in your heart to give you a life on fire. That's my hope. That's my prayer for you. So if you have your Bible, open to 2 Timothy Paul is giving final instructions to Timothy before leaving earth. He's writing this book to Timothy. Why isn't he just talking to Timothy? Well, he's writing it because he's in prison. He's in prison in Rome. See, he's been imprisoned, and he knows that I've been imprisoned in other places. not the first time that he's been in prison, but this time that he's being imprisoned, he's in Rome. He knows I'm probably going to get killed for what I'm have been doing in preaching the gospel. I know that I'm about ready. This is my final book. Timothy, I want to give you my last instructions. It was written between 64 and 66 AD during Nero's persecution and reign, his persecution of the Christians in the area and the Christian church. And Paul reminds Christians that they can trust and have assurance in God. In 2 Timothy 4.18, at the end of the book, it says this. This is what he's saying. He's saying, here's the reassurance. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He wants to assure you, listen, God's going to rescue you from every evil attack and he's going to bring you into his heavenly kingdom. Here's the problem. Some of you want that rescue from attack to be heaven on earth. And it's not. God's going to rescue Paul from every earthly attack. His final rescue will result in Paul's death. 
and his resurrection and his graduation into a highly exalted place kept in heaven for him into the heavenly kingdom. God's going to rescue you, but it may not be comfortable. God's going to rescue you, but it may not be easy. God is going to rescue you, and even if you're facing your final days, even if you're facing that final challenge of death that all of us will face and none of us will succeed in, but we after death will rise and be in the presence of the Lord. The Lord, in fact, will rescue you from every evil attack, and he's going to bring you safely to his heavenly kingdom. If your faith and your trust are in Jesus Christ, that's the assurance of your faith. But Paul doesn't start there. He starts all the way back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. He writes this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. And I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I'm persuaded, now also lives in you also. So he starts off and he gives his normal greetings. He says, listen, I know I'm in prison and I would love to see you because if I got to see you, it would increase my joy for sure. But I want to let you know, Timothy, that I remember you. I have a longing for you. I remember you in my prayers. And he says, let me help you remember your heritage. Timothy had a spiritual heritage. It started off with his mom. It also was in his grandma. It existed in both of them, but then it came to a male in the family. It came to Timothy. And we, we're not, we don't know. Was his dad in on that? Paul doesn't mention it. Was his grandpa in on that? Paul doesn't mention it. All we know is that it was his grandma and his mom. But isn't it good of God that in this moment, God gives him a mentor, a male figure in his life, to help him walk into manhood, to help him fan into flame, because his heritage and his side of the family, all were given the indications is that it was female, but God gave him a father, a mentor in Paul. Paul is now in prison for preaching the gospel. But let me ask you for a minute, what is your heritage spiritually? As you think of your family, as you think of your background, what's your heritage spiritually? If Paul were writing a letter to you, and he knew you really well, and he knew your family, what would he say your spiritual heritage is? I want you to think about that for a minute. Where did faith exist? Did it exist in an aunt, or an uncle, or a father, or a mother, or a grandmother, a grandfather? Did it, did it exist in a brother or sister? Or maybe for you, it didn't exist in any of them. Maybe you are the one that God in his grace has chosen to change the course of a non-spiritual heritage and begin it with you. And I just want to say for a minute, who are you? Who are you that God would choose you to break a family pattern of unbelief? And if you don't have a heritage in your life, like maybe Timothy had, God is there to remind you that he will walk with you, that he will bring other people into your life to begin to walk as a spiritual heritage around you. And I want you just to think for a minute, does God want you to continue a godly spiritual heritage? 
does God want you to start a godly spiritual heritage for yourself and the blessing of any future generations? Does God want you to continue on with your forever family, the church? And isn't it beautiful that God doesn't just call you to himself, but he calls you to the body. And that's why we need each other. None of us are supposed to do this journey alone. Timothy needed to walk along with the mentoring of Paul. You and I need each other. We need to be in a circle. We need to have community with one another. And recently, so many of us have tasted that to find that it's good, that we need each other, that part of igniting our spiritual life is the community piece. Well, Paul and Timothy had that. Timothy is carrying on the heritage. Timothy is serving now in the local church, but Paul's in prison. And he's saying, in my heart, I still remember you actively in my prayers, and I love you. But he's saying, I know my time is short. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, I think the theme verse of the book is found right here. Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Okay, what does he tell him? Fan into flame. There's a gift that's been given to you, but fan it into flame. Get the right air on it. You know, back in the day, we used to have those things that could blow air on a fire. Or maybe you were working with kindling. You're like, whoo, 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 whatever. But it took work. It wasn't easy to light that fire. And so you're going to need to fan into flame this gift that's been given to you. You say, well, what gifts have been given to me? I want to remind you that you individually are called by God. And you're called for five purposes. You're called to be loved by God. You're called to belong to God's forever family. You're called to become more and more in the image of Jesus. You have a specific gift to use that you're called to use as a blessing to God's church. And then you're called to be sent to tell the world just how much God has done for you. So today I want to talk with you about lighting up your spiritual abilities with power. Not just lighting up your spiritual abilities with passion, that ebbs and flows, right? But lighting up your spiritual abilities with power. And so if you have your outline, I want to remind you, number one, that you and I, we must fan into flame God's gift given to me. Paul's charge to Timothy is also God's charge to you and to me. What is the gift, though, that we're to fan into flame? Well, he said, listen, Timothy, you received this gift through the laying on of hands. And we got to say, well, what, where does that come from? And if you just read 2 Timothy and you don't read 1 Timothy, you only have a piece of the puzzle. So if you flip back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul said, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. There was a commissioning service for Timothy but like you and me, Timothy normally, like all of us, received God's Holy Spirit at the moment where we put our faith and our trust in Christ. At the moment of conversion, we receive God's Holy Spirit. But not only that, but the Holy Spirit then gives you and I a gift that we're to use to be a blessing to the church, that we're to fan into flame. And Timothy would have received God's Holy Spirit, but his gift wasn't evident yet. His gift wasn't evident yet because he wasn't practicing in the capacity at which God wanted him to utilize it. 
But upon the commissioning service, the time when the elders would come, they would lay hands on him. They would commission him to work and serve and act as a pastor, that he would have the public reading of Scripture. He would preach. He would teach. He's saying, listen, don't neglect that in 1 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he's saying, now that you're not neglecting it, continue to fan that thing into flame. In Timothy's case, his gift likely didn't become evident until he was commissioned to minister to this flock by Paul and the elders. Now you have a gift, and I have a gift, but sometimes your gift and my gift doesn't become apparent to all or evident to all until we start to fan it into flame, until we start to use it. And let me tell you, there are a lot of Christians in the world who walk in and they sit in a church on a Sunday and they listen to what's going on and they listen online and they're educated beyond their obedience. They're not fanning into flame the gift that's been given to them. They're not giving it any power. It's like a hot coal that slowly is going out. Paul says, don't do that. Don't neglect the gift that was given to you. It will become apparent as you serve. Paul's admonition to Timothy and to every believer remains unchanged. God's gift must be rekindled and fanned into flame through use and empowered by God's Holy Spirit, not merely your own ambition. So the question is, well, what special gifts and abilities has God given me to use as a blessing to his church and to others? In your program, there's a link for the shape profile. It's really simple. It's just sungrove.org slash shape. And you'll see it right there. This week in your circles, every circle is going to take this inventory. The leaders are going to be able to download it. They can print it off if they want to. You can go online, download it. You don't have to be in a circle, but you can take it. This week, every circle is going to take this shape profile. We've made it available at sungrove.org backslash shape. And as you look through that, as you download it and begin to work through that, it's an indicator that really helps you identify, God, how have you uniquely gifted me? Shape, of course, stands for your spiritual gift, your heart, your abilities, like natural abilities, your personality, and your life experiences. God has uniquely shaped you. Paul has said it to Timothy, you've got a unique heritage. Timothy, nobody else has your same heritage, spiritually. Nobody else has the same experiences. Nobody else has your personality, Timothy. Just you. Yeah, other people might have abilities, but you've been uniquely commissioned to use your gift. No one else has the heart like you do. Cares about the exact mix of things that you care about. And God has given you a unique spiritual gift that you're to fan into flame. So let me ask, have you discovered and are you using the special spiritual gift for service that God has given you? Are you fanning it into flame? See, many false teachers, particularly in the early church, they were naturally gifted. They were super talented. They could speak. They could write. They could teach. They, they were out there, and they were proclaiming other theologies and false religions. And, and all the time in the early church, these false teachings were bleeding their way into the early church. And then persecution hits. And when persecution hits, Sometimes false teachers lead other people astray, but they end up falling away because if you're going to get persecuted for it, you pull back and you just quit. You don't endure. But what do we see with Paul? What do we see with Timothy? What do we see with the movers and shakers, the true people in the early church? We see them endure, not just endure, but endure so often to the point of death. 
They're not a false teacher who just has some naturally gifting and then they didn't last. But Paul's saying, fan it into flame. Because you're going to get tried, you're going to get tested, you're going to get tempted. And I want you to endure. God's Holy Spirit will come along and help you to endure. But you've got to participate with the work that God's Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. You remember the disciples were afraid. Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to them several times. But then Jesus said, I'm going to ascend to heaven and I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. So they got together in Jerusalem and they were waiting, but they were also kind of afraid because, listen, it had been a crazy season and there was persecution starting and they were hiding away, waiting on God. And then the Holy Spirit shows up and and literally the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit hovered above them, appeared with them as a tongue of fire, a flame above them, a flicker of flame. And the Holy Spirit then indwelled them. And these afraid, timid at times disciples who weren't sure what's going on, who weren't sure what the future held, became incredibly bold and they stayed bold until their death. Well, that was a power that was beyond them. That was a power that didn't exist in them. They got bold enough to the point of giving their lives. Could you imagine if at the time of your conversion or your baptism, I said, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. Is it your desire to continue to live for him as the Lord, the Master, the ruler of your life? He said, yes. And if I said, now, would you die for him? There might be a little shaking in the tank, right? Uh, I don't know. Well, that seems awful. That's huge. I think before the Holy Spirit showed up, the disciples would be like, it might happen, but I sure don't want it. We're kind of hiding out. After the Holy Spirit showed up, they're like, we'll do whatever's needed. We will endure to the end by the power of the Holy Spirit. Their life was on fire. So let me ask the question, how do you and I get power for powerless people? Well, Paul gives us an indication here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Again, he writes, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. He's saying, listen, he didn't just say fan into flame. It's all up to you, Timothy. Good luck with that. I hope you stay motivated. In your hot and cold motivation, right? Think about your motivation or mine. Sometimes it's hot, sometimes it's cold. He didn't say that. No, he said, listen, you've got this gift, but you need to know that the spirit God gave us doesn't make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. If you've ever studied the person of Timothy, you realize that, that he's not the naturally bold guy. He's not a naturally outspoken man. He's not. But Paul's saying, I want you to be bold. Well, how's that boldness going to happen? How is there going to be power for a powerless person? We have to ask, well, did Timothy have hardships in his life? Well, if you're taking notes today, you'll realize, first of all, that as we study the person of Timothy, we find that he had frequent illnesses. Frequent illness in his life. His life wasn't just easy. He didn't have it smooth all the time. He wasn't just powerful. No, this is a guy who struggled with his health pretty regularly. In fact, in 1 Timothy, the previous book, Paul writes, Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. See, he's saying, listen, I want to help you. And as any good father would, you might give some, you know, medical advice, right? Hey, try this. 
do that, but he had frequent illnesses. And, and, and what Paul is saying is he's not saying, you know, he's, he's saying, he, he is saying have a drink. He's not saying get drunk and numb your illness. He's not saying get drunk and forget your illness or your hurts. He's saying add some wine to what you're drinking for the good of your stomach and your digestive system. And let's see if that might not help because even as a believer, you're struggling with your health. So here's a guy who's a pastor, but he's struggling with his health. He has frequent illnesses. Secondly, he's naturally timid. He's naturally timid in his temperament, in his personality. He is not that outgoing guy. He is not. He's probably introverted. He's probably like, I'm the last person who would ever be commissioned to be a pastor. You're looking at Paul be so bold, and you're looking at Timothy kind of trailing along with Paul. But now that Timothy is a pastor of this church... He's going to face opposition, and Paul encourages him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. Paul's doing two things. One, he's validating Timothy's authority as a pastor. Because let's say if Paul walked in the room... And Timothy walked in the room, if you're the church at Corinth, you're going to be like, Paul is a leader. When Timothy walks in the room, you're like, I'm not so sure. And Paul's saying, see to it that Timothy has nothing to fear. Now, Paul's saying that for two reasons. The first and most important reason is that Paul has told the church in Corinth, here's how you need to shape up, or otherwise I'm going to come back and I'm going to set things straight. The church was out of control. And he's saying, listen, see to it that Timothy has nothing to fear from being weird or crazy or out of order as a church. But secondly, see to it that he has nothing to fear from you. In ministry, we all face opposition. You're going to face internal opposition. You'll face external opposition. But see to it that he has nothing to fear. Why? Because God can give power to the powerless. God's Holy Spirit will take a timid person and make them appropriately bold. Irrespective of your personality and temperament. In fact, I think sometimes God will take a person because of their temperament, because of their personality, and he will make the power of their boldness stronger because of who God wired them to be. You'll know it came from the Holy Spirit because that wasn't you. Third, he was facing unfriendly fire. Unfriendly fire. This is not just the, hey, people love you at church. This is, he had some unfriendly people, false teachers, other things going on. They basically went from a bunch of people in a church who wanted to argue more than act. What's unfriendly fire? When people want to argue more than act. They don't want to be doers, they want to be talkers. And they want to talk about it and they never really get around to doing They want to argue over meaningless stuff. And in 1 Timothy... Paul writes to Timothy and says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's what? Right. So they wanted to argue more than they wanted to act. They wanted to go into speculations and myths and genealogies. They would have loved Ancestry.com. <laughs> but he says, those things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. 
Listen, God made you and me with abilities, but God also made you and me with limitations. We are not limitless. Oh, we think it would be nice to be limitless. But God made us with abilities. He also made us with limitations in his love. He chose to give you and me limitations. Paul said God's power is perfected in weakness when God didn't heal his limitation. Paul said, three times I prayed that God would take away my limitation, but God didn't heal it. And so God, Paul says, God makes his power perfect when I'm weak. He later says, for when I am weak, then he is strong. He kept serving. Did Paul let his limitations keep him from serving? I'm sorry, I can't. I'm limited. No, he kept serving. He kept serving God with his limitation, with his weakness, in his non-ability uh, you know, to do everything like he would want to do. He kept being faithful. Here's what I want you to do this morning. Take a moment, and I want you to thank God for your limitations. I want you to think about what are my limitations. Is it personality? Is it temperament? Is it being timid? Is it that I have opposition? Is it that my body's not cooperating? Whatever your limitation is, I want you to think for a minute. I want you to thank God for that. So do me a favor right now. So everybody around here, bow your head. Close your eyes. And I want you to thank God for your limitation. Why? Because limitations keep you humble. They keep you dependent on God. Otherwise, you become all self-sufficient, probably arrogant and proud. And your limitation is going to bring glory to God that if you were free from limitations, you could never bring to him. We take a moment and just say, God, thank you for my limitations. God, we're grateful that we don't know it all, that we don't have it all together, because in our weakness, you're going to be strong. I want to thank you for that, God. I thank you that you uh, teach me how to preach when I feel strong, when I feel weak, that you let me use this gift with these great people here. I love them. God, I just pray that you would continue to use us in our strengths, our weaknesses, that we would fan into flame those gifts you've given us bring greatness to your kingdom for your name's sake, not ours. In Jesus' name we all said, amen. All right. Sometimes you're going to be weak, but it doesn't keep you from letting God be strong. I got to tell you, the last thing my dad taught me was how to die. It's a lesson none of us want to learn. But here's Paul writing to Timothy, and he's saying, my time is short. I'm going to die. I think this is it. They're going to kill me. But I want to give you some instructions before that. And let me tell you, I was blessed because not everybody's given this opportunity, but in a godly heritage with my dad to watch him struggle to the point of limitation as he fought cancer and passed away. He taught me how to die. Our last conversation was the next time I'll see you will be in heaven. I consider that a gift. Oh, a gift I never wanted, right? But a gift. Fortunately, fanning your gift into flame is not a matter of your hot and cold motivation or of your past or of your history. God's going to fan into flame with real power when you start using your gift. It, it's going to become evident to all. So there's three ways I want to hit real quick with you that God's going to help you change and fan into flame 
How does God participate with your effort, your work in using the gift that he's given you? Number one, the, he's going to give you power. See, the Holy Spirit gives three things in your life that will fan it into flame. First one is power. This is the word dunamis. And uh, people like to say, well, that's where the, you know, the Greek word that later on becomes the word dynamite. Which is great, but dynamite wasn't invented. So Paul wasn't thinking dynamite. He was thinking power. Let me just talk about power. And the kind of power that it is, is productive power. The Holy Spirit's going to come along and give you productive power, productive energy. Listen, there, people talk about energy all the time in our culture right now, right? We've got negative energy. Oh, don't be around people with negative energy. Oh, they're negative energy. I had to get out of that, right? People talk like that all the time. There's negative energy. There's stimulated energy. It's called your energy drink. That's a stimulant. That's all it is, right? Whether it's coffee or anything else, there's stimulated energy in our culture. There's manufactured energy, right? Fake it till you make it. That's manufactured energy. God's power is different. It is productive energy. Literally, it's the same kind of power, the same source from God's Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what he's talking about. Paul's saying, listen, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. It's going to be the one that raises me from the dead when they finally kill me. It's going to be the one that is you fan into flame, the gift that God's given you. God's power is going to come alongside that. It will be productive energy. Second thing he'll give us is love. The Holy Spirit will give you and I love. You know what kind of love? Sacrificial love. It's agape love. There's three different words for love. The Holy Spirit's going to give us sacrificial love, the ability, whether you feel hot or cold, to give, to serve, to be a blessing, to sacrifice. It's not excitement, it's not infatuation, but it's sacrificial, volitional, and selfless love that desires and works toward the best for other people. For example, the day of service we have coming up Saturday, that we serve, we act, we give, we do what needs to be done. Why? Because it's sacrificial for us. It's good for our community. It's good for our schools. It's good for our parks. But we want to give. Why? Sacrificially. We want to have productive energy in that. That there's a sacrificial love. It's not phileo love. That's brotherly love. Right? City of brotherly love. Philadelphia. Phileo. That's where we get that. But phileo love, just to be honest with you, it's conditional and often emotional. Right? Hey, we're a bro until we're not a bro. And then guess what? We're not a bro. You're not my bro anymore. God's not your homeboy, because if you want God to be your homeboy, you just want him to be phileo love. He's not. He's the God of the universe. He's God's Holy Spirit. It's going to give you power. He's going to give you sacrificial love. It's not eros love. It's not infatuation. It's not erotic. It's not sensual. That oftentimes, that side of love is oftentimes taking or using in different ways. God's not saying, I'm going to use you. I'm going to take from you. I'm going to take advantage of you. It's not what God's saying. God's Holy Spirit's going to give you and I sacrificial love. Listen, if you're just simply taking or you're simply selfish, those things will extinguish the flame in you. But the church will be known for God's brand of love, which is agape love. Timothy had opponents who wanted the church to be comfortable for them, to be whatever they wanted the church to be, to, be in, to look like they wanted to look, to teach what they wanted it to teach. And Paul says to Timothy, listen, you're going to have to endure through all of that. And God's Holy Spirit is going to give you sacrificial love in the face of people who want to oppose you. God's Holy Spirit is going to give you power where you feel timid. And God's Holy Spirit, third, is going to give you self-discipline. This is 
sophronismos. It is a self-controlled, disciplined, and properly prioritized mind. Right, a sophomore is a wise fool, right? You're smart enough to be in your second year of school, but you're still kind of too dumb to know how much you don't know. That's what sophomore means, right? You're a wise fool. It's that combination. But this is not being a sophomore. This is sophronismos, which means that you've, in a sense, arrived that God gives you and I a self-controlled, a disciplined, a properly prioritized mind. It allows you to experience success without becoming proud and to experience failure without becoming bitter or hopeless. It's rearranging your life to honor God, not just honor yourself, not just live for yourself, not just live for your past, not just live for your future heritage, and to make it all about the kids and their future. No, it's about living for God's kingdom. It helps you have a properly prioritized life, a properly prioritized mind. See, you and I honor God when we ask this question, what is the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? If you want to know, how do I honor God? Then in every situation, just say, what's the wise thing to do? Man, we're impulsive. We have hot and cold moments. Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, what's the wise thing to do? The wise thing is to fan into flame that gift that has been given to you. And God's Holy Spirit will come along with power, with love, and with self-discipline. Listen, when you understand that Jesus died for your sins, that he offers you eternal life in heaven, he'll take you there when you put your faith and trust in what he did on the cross. And he will give you gifting in this life that you can fan into flame, but it'll come along with it with power and love and self-discipline. Then you will have a life on fire as you fan into flame the gift that God has given to you with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If today you're realizing maybe for the first time that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he's invited you into relationship with him to receive eternal life, to be part of his forever family, to forgive you of all your sins and wash them away, if that's you today and you'd like to receive Jesus into your heart, then you pray a prayer like this after me. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life. Wash me as white as snow. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. That you were buried in the grave. That you rose to new life. That that burning I feel in my heart is that my heart really does want to respond to you. And so today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.